This is Hear It Now on Prairie Public. I'm Doug Hamilton, and it is time, I guess, even though there's all that snow out there and it has been cold, to talk about the next season. And can't we look forward to that? Ron Smith is with us. Ron is retired NDSU Extension Horticulturist. When last we spoke in December, he was retiring. Now he's retired. So good to have you with us again. It's good to be here. It's a good feeling to be retired, too. (laughs) (laughs) Well, where have you been? (laughs) Traveling all over the world. uh, Not really. We took a a very brief uh, trip down to um, uh, the Mexican Riviera on a, one of the cruise ships that stayed afloat and didn't lose power <laughs> and, um, yes. and totally enjoyed the relaxation and the heat and came back and uh, did a, a presentation at the Green Expo in, in uh, Minneapolis-St. Paul. And, um, and then I had my shoulder, left shoulder replaced, and that's healing up very nicely. And I had a very uh, rewarding presentation or uh, participation, I should say, out in, in – uh, uh, Thief River Falls this past Saturday, and their gardening and beyond uh, garden workshop, and it was just fantastic. They had about 160 people attending there, and uh, Kim Swanson did a fantastic job of organizing that um, that that program. What and happens at a gardening workshop like well, that? Well, they have they have uh, people that show up uh, there. They have vendors that uh, have horticultural products, and it's not. You know, it's not Scott's Turf Builder or stuff like that, mm-hmm. but it's it's individual entrepreneurs, which is very nice. People that get into making uh, garden stones, garden patios, uh, garden baskets, uh, books, pruning uh, tools, uh, nice, un- unique uh, tools that you don't find in Walmart, Kmart, <laughs> uh, any any of the other popular stores. And then, of course, they have a, an array of speakers, and they try to pick uh, different speakers with different subjects each year. Uh, so you get uh, – I was one of uh, four, three other speakers that were there, and most of the uh, conversation I talked a little bit on on starting from seed, uh, starting uh, vegetables from seed and some of the better vegetables to go ahead and grow. And they had a, um, a couple of other people talk about uh, the safety in, in uh, cooking and, um, uh, and canning and everything else, which was, which was uh, very good, and, um, and talking about health and nutrition and so on and so forth. And I ended up by talking – a little bit about roses, which I found there was somebody in the audience that knew a heck of a lot more than I did about roses up there. So she came up and and uh, augmented the <laughs> augmented my presentation very nicely. But it was a lot of fun. Well, we already have a call. Gary in Williston has <laughs> oh. a call for Ron Smith. So. All the way out in Williston? All the way out in Williston. Holy Gary, what's so. your question? Hi, Gary. Uh, Ron, yeah. welcome back. Good well, thank, to hear your voice. Thank you. Uh, I got a 20-year-old Canada red cherry, and I just noticed the first signs of black knot. Oh. Other than pruning... Back ways. Mm-hmm. Is there some chemical I can spray in the spring? <clears throat> yeah, you can get out there. You can get out there and, and uh, spray it back with uh, any kind of a good fungicide that would be on the market. Now, I, I've got to admit that I'm not up on the most current ones okay. out there, but I would go and do a Google uh, search um, fungicides for control of black knot okay. on, on choke cherry dot edu edu uh, uh, reference there because then you'll get uh, hits. From educational institutions like NDSU, University of Minnesota, Iowa State, Ohio State, Michigan State, South Dakota State, places like that. So that way you'd be able to see the array of uh, materials that they would be uh, making suggestions on. And I can tell you this much, that they, you need to be proactive on that. Right. And, uh, yeah. and you might investigate around your property there to see if you have any wild 
uh, uh, cherries growing in your in your shelter pelt or any anywhere nearby that you can go ahead and get rid of because usually they're the inoculum. They're the ones that go ahead and, and uh, spread this uh, material around. But stay ahead of, of the pruning on that. Right. And, yeah. and, uh, when is uh, when do you apply the fungicide? You apply the fungicide just before the uh, the uh, spring break comes up. Okay. So and uh, they they now have several not only contact fungicides, but also there are um, systemic fungicides, too. So okay. you might read the label carefully to make sure you get uh, the, the uh, systemic as well as the contact. And I'm not plugging anyone, but check the Bayer products. Uh, they're sure. usually the first ones on the, on the market with some of these innovative uh, fungicides. Okay. I okay. want to save the tree. The birds love it. So. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they sure do. <laughs> Thank you, Gary. Thank Thanks you for your call. Appreci- mm-hmm. Appreciate your show, Ron. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. I've never heard of black knot before. Oh, uh, what does it look like? A black knot. <laughs> you know, of course, but uh, where is it? It's, it's a, like a swelling. It looks like a burnt marshmallow uh-huh. on a chokecherry tree, okay. and it's very common on chokecherries, unfortunately. And it, what, it, that, what that, that does is it girdles the the branch right there and uh, of course that girdling kills that branch and then of course it spreads it spreads by rain splash by uh, insects uh, by birds by us and it can cause a um, <clears throat> uh, the tree to look like a Frankenstein monster by mm. the time you get done pruning out all of that that's why it's good that he discovered that early on and uh, was able to go ahead and get those black knots pruned out of there but now he needs to watch in his area there to see if there's anything that he has jurisdiction over that he can get out and have that removed, a wild sucker or seedling coming up somewhere in a shelter belt that would be an act as an inoculum for the rest of the, for his desirable choke cherry that he wants to keep. The expert is in the house, Ron Smith, <laughs> retired NDSU Extension horticulturist is here, and you can contact him directly and ask your question at 888-755-6377, 888-755-6377. Again, our program is live, uh, 3 Central to 4 on uh, uh, during the afternoons, and we do rebroadcast at 7, so we can't take any calls then, but... Uh, we will want to hear calls right now at 888-755-6377. Now, you've got another one of these gardening meetings coming up, a county <coughs> extension meeting in Bagley. Yeah, there, there are several of them going on, uh, and these are the, just the ones that I'm involved with. Uh, there are probably a lot more out there. Uh, so I would check with your local um, extension office uh, across the state to see where you might be having some out there. But there's one in Bagley coming up this March, this coming Saturday. Starting at uh, 9 o'clock, 8 to 9 o'clock, your registration is out there. And if you are interested in doing that, you can go ahead and contact. I'm trying to find that number there in Bagley. Um, But they have a program going on there. They're talking about direct seeding of annuals, um, new fruits for northern gardens. Um, I'm talking about peonies. And uh, they have an organic-based lunch, vegetarian option, and (laughs) barbecue, um, and proper pruning practices, and roses. And uh, some herbal options there. So there's a lot out there. They can go ahead. Thank you. Uh, um, <clears throat> and so if they're interested, um, they can contact the agent out there. And, and I'm trying to find that doggone phone number here to give to people, and I can't quite find it. So if anybody's listening, call in and tell me what that phone number is. So okay. it's, in the, it's located in the Bagley High School uh, Commons area. So if you know anything about Bagley, it's on Highway 92. And there's a $20 pre-registration fee, and that date is already passed, so it'll cost $25 at the door. Usually they have uh, door prizes there as well as vendors there that are very interesting to go ahead and take a look at. So, 
Now, you're going to be talking about peonies. It's a little early, but uh, what should we know about peonies? They're almost indestructible. That's the great thing about them. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they're, they, they are a dual-purpose plant in that they are uh, they're very nice to see in flower. They're beautiful in flower. And the only unfortunate thing, most of the flowers don't last that long, but when they're in flower, they're absolutely stunning. The other nice thing about them is, is they make a very good herbaceous border because they generally get to be about three and a three and a half feet tall. So you have a waist-high border that can define your backyard, the, the, the difference between your, your property line and your neighbor's property line. And it's not going to be a physical barrier, but it's going to be a psychological barrier there. And so the, the, they're the kind of peony or the kind of perennial that you can plant and not have to worry about for the next 10, maybe 15 years. Oh. Or if you don't live that long, not until the next person that moves into that house has to. They many times outlive the owners. How much sunlight do they need? Full sunlight. Okay. Most of them need as much sunlight as they can possibly get. What typically happens with peonies is that people will move into a new house, a new development, like we see out here in West Fargo, all former farmland, bare naked soil. And you get out there and you plant some peonies, and uh, they'll take off and grow very nicely for you. And the... Um, uh, then you plant some trees, and these little saplings, little young trees that don't make any impact on these peonies, and then suddenly you, uh, you know, 10 years go by, 15 years go by, 20 years go by, and you contact who will ever be in my place there 20 years from now and say, my peonies aren't doing very well, and they've done very well since 2013 <laughs> or 14, might have, whatever it might be, and what could be going on? And, and the first question I'd ask people Say, so you've planted them back that long ago. Have, did you plant any trees at the same time? Yes, we did. Well, those trees are probably causing some shade there, so you might want to consider digging them up and moving them. And so um, they're, you know, literally a bulletproof plant. They're, they're fantastic uh, uh, plants to go ahead and, and, and grow. Well, we, we have another call. This oh, is wonderful. Val in Grand Forks. <laughs> go ahead, Val. What's your question? Hi. Hi. Um, we had lovely peonies when we lived down in Millbank. We had about... Uh, nine uh, bushes, and my husband really loves them. And we moved to Grand Forks, uh, and we had some peonies. They're really straggly on one side of the house. They came up. They never bloomed. And um, I know that if they're not planted right, they don't sometimes bloom. Mm -hmm. I was wondering if we can dig them up and, and resurrect them at all. Yeah, yes, that's what I'd recommend. If they're growing fine but not blooming, they might have been planted a little bit too deep. And so I would try to, as carefully as you can, um, dig them as early in the season. I know it's not the time to go ahead and do it, but, you uh -huh. know, uh, and, and you're probably going to suffer a little bit of consequences of uh, some small consequences for doing it now. But um, you might get away with it. Uh, you're not going to kill them, I, I, I can almost guarantee you. But try uh -huh. to get down there and, and you and your husband with uh, long-handled uh, shovels on either uh -huh. side kind of dig and lift, dig and lift, and get that so that the butt eyes are about just an inch or two below the surface of the soil. And, the butt uh, eyes are and then, just an inch or two below the surface of the mm -hmm, soil. Mm -hmm. And is there any particular soil that they like? Maybe they're in real poor soil, too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They like, peonies universally like two things, good drainage and full sunlight. They, yeah, will, right. they, they will tolerate... <laughs> Uh, a little bit of cheating on that as far as sunlight goes and a little bit of cheating mm -hmm. on that as far as drainage goes. Mm -hmm. But if you can give them optimal drainage and, and uh, as much sunlight as Mother Nature can provide, they'll perform well for you. The, um, if you're going to be doing this digging and moving the peonies at all, uh, you might take that opportunity at the same time to go ahead and improve the soil conditions by adding some 
sphagnum peat moss or, or sand. I, mm-hmm. I don't really like recommending sand because people don't get mm-hmm. the right proportions of it. But yeah. sphagnum yeah. peat moss would be the best thing to go ahead and add on something like that. And, uh, and then just set them where they can get full sunlight and, and uh, make sure uh, if, if you, you might want to also at that point in time take a uh, soil sample and send it into the uh, NDSO mm-hmm. soil testing lab and have yeah. them do a, a soil test. You need to have a uh-huh. good balance of phosphorus and potassium in there. Not an awful lot of nitrogen, I'll say won't bloom. That okay. might be another thing that could be the problem is if you're fertilizing your lawn with typically high nitrogen fertilizers, you might be getting mm-hmm. some of that fertilizer on your peonies, and that could keep them mm-hmm. from, from blooming for you. Mm-hmm. No, <laughs> these are in beds, and they're away from the lawn. Okay. So they, mm-hmm. they should be all right. Okay, can you, uh, if somebody else has lovely peonies and they're willing to share, can you split a peony <laughs> bush and be successful? Yes, absolutely. The best time to do that is in the fall, uh, in the fall. after mm-hmm. after a good hard frost. and. Uh, mm-hmm. Yes, you can do that, and you want to get as big a peony root with as many eyes as you possibly can, at least three eyes if you, if you can mm-hmm. do that. Mm-hmm. And so, yes, that would be great. If you have somebody that uh, as a friend that has a big, beautiful bush, you know, buy them a bottle of wine and invite them over <laughs> for, <laughs> for cheese and wine and fruit tasting some night and start you know, kind of morph the subject into uh, talking about peonies and, and how you admire that one wonderful peony. And then if you ever get around to digging it up to uh, divide it out a little bit, you'd be glad to take one of their divisions and, by golly, uh-huh. After they've had a couple of glasses of wine, they'll probably agree to it. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Val. Thanks, okay, thank thanks you. for your call. Thanks, Ron. <laughs> Bye-bye. One Bye. technical question, Ron, about peonies and hydrangeas. I, I see a lot of them in my neighborhood during mm-hmm. the growing season, and uh, some of the blossoms are so big, so heavy, they actually drag <clears throat> the whole plant over. Mm-hmm. Are there varieties to look for? Is there a, a way to <laughs> grow them that uh, this won't be quite the problem? Yeah, it's, they, they, there are some peony varieties out there that they claim that the stems are strong enough that uh, they don't need support. Uh, if they are out there, uh, I haven't seen them yet. And we put our peony supports uh, baskets up around them every single spring. And we, as they grow, we get make sure that the, the stems stay inside those hoops. They're actually peony hoops. And that way, <clears throat> they might stand up fine until they get those flowers and you get a rain. And then they, yeah. they hang over. And then they look so sad. But if you can get those <laughs> peony hoops up there, That'll work. That'll work quite nicely. Ron Smith is our guest. We're talking about (laughs) gardening, and, of course, it's going to get green sometime uh, in a (laughs) month or two. Give us a call at 888-755-6377 and pose your horticultural question to our expert, Ron Smith. We'll be back in a moment. Tonight's television lineup on Prairie Public starts with Antiques Roadshow, featuring relics from Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. Then at 8 Central, the Market Warriors go in search of antique toys in Minnesota. And at 9, Part 3 of the Reagan Presidency. Tune in tonight on Prairie Public. This is Here It Now on Prairie Public. I'm Doug Hamilton. In the background, the High 48's Bluegrass Band. Uh, doing a little strumming and fiddling out there. The High 48's. Well, we're talking about uh, the coming grass season. We'll see it again sometime. That snow is going to melt. Actually, we've got some uh, 
moderate conditions out there for the change of the seasons, at least for this week. And uh, maybe eventually we'll see some mud and then some green stuff come out of that. 888-755-6377 is your direct line to Ron Smith, who's in our studio to answer your lawn and garden questions. What kind of lawn and garden planning should people be doing now? Well, uh, I'm going to use my lovely wife as an example. Um, Everybody out there uh, that has a mailbox or an address has received heaven knows how many catalogs in the mail. (laughs) Yes. Uh, And every day we get catalogs. And my wife loves to look through them. And she'll ask me questions. And I say, honey, I don't know. I mean, I can't possibly know all that's coming from these various uh, companies. And I think the thing that I try to encourage people to do would be to, you know, go through these catalogs while we're still buried in snow and cold temperatures and make a circle. Put a circle around some of these things that strike your, your fancy, what you're interested in. And um, don't be afraid to try them if you're, if you're adventurous. Of course, if you have your stock and trade like you've always grown, Rutgers tomatoes, and they're the best-tasting tomatoes in your opinion, and you don't want to try any other tomatoes. But your spouse wants to try these new grafted tomatoes, uh, and see if they really work. Okay, go ahead and try them. You might change your mind about that Rutgers at some point in time. So it's, it's a good idea to, to make a list. If there's something that you're passionately, strongly desiring to have, don't wait too late to go ahead and order them out. Because oftentimes what happens, if you really like it, then so do a half a million other people. And so they're going to get their uh, orders in very early, and you need to go and get your order in as soon as there it is right there. My wife loves a sweet million tomato, so she goes through the catalogs, finds whoever has a sweet million tomato, and then she gets the order in right away. Okay, so she knows that she's got her sweet million tomatoes to go ahead and plant and enjoy uh, that, that growing season. So if you have your favorites, then go ahead and get those orders in right away. You don't have to plant them right away. In fact, you shouldn't. Wait around uh, till tax day to go ahead and get them started inside and then get them um, um, Moved out around uh, May 15th, May 20th, something like that. So you got about six <laughs> weeks before tax day anyway mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. sort of uh, do your figuring out. Yep, absolutely. You know, my mother is from the south and she liked hibiscus trees. And mm. I've got two brothers, one who lives in St. Paul, the other lives in La Crosse. And the University of Minnesota came out with a, 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 a variety of hibiscus that actually was hardy enough to grow there. Mm. So wow. they have a they have one on the lawn in St. Paul, one on the lawn in La Crosse. I don't know if they can go much farther north. Hmm. Okay, <laughs> uh, that'd be interesting to try that. Yeah, one that can tolerate that and stay outside all winter. It's outside all winter. It's wonderful, is, and it uh, blooms uh, gloriously. In both wonderful, places. wonderful. Good, good for the University of Minnesota and their, their their breeders and hybridizers. But that reminds me that when you do get these seed catalogs, there's some information on them <laughs> that that a guy like me mm-hmm. should pay particular attention to, mm-hmm. which would be the zone and the the uh, solar needs, yeah. the sunshine. Needs. Absolutely. Um, you know, everything looks nice in those catalogs, and it looks as if anybody can go ahead and grow them. And, uh, you know, it's, it's you know, you, we, within the listening area, generally, you want to stay within zone three. If you're a gambler, you can try zone four. If you're willing to give it a protected microenvironment, microclimate, uh, of course, zone two hardiness, I mean, that's literally almost a bulletproof plant as far as cold hardiness goes for our, our listening area here. Uh, <clears throat> the, uh, uh, the, 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 I think the big thing that you, you want to keep in mind is that these novelty things that they try to sell, and I've seen this uh, 
garden tower. Uh, they've had this advertised where you have a, a big barrel or a big bucket that you have this uh, that holds this fertilizer solution, and it's a tower that goes up where you can go ahead and plant uh, little openings in it that you can go ahead and put plants in yes, it. Anything yes, from strawberries, yep. if you've seen them. And it looks wonderful. It looks very nice. You can have this growing in your kitchen and just harvest this. It makes it sound so easy. And uh, the thing they failed to tell you there is that uh, you have to maintain the solution, uh, manage that solution very, very carefully because the plants are going to be taking that, the nutrients out in a differential way, number one. Number two, they also need a very good, strong source of light to be productive for you. So if you're going to try to grow tomatoes inside or strawberries inside, you need to have as much light, artificial light, as you can possibly get to get those to be productive or else they're just going to be punky things. About the best thing they would be good for would be growing herbs because herbs are very tolerant of, of um, less than ideal conditions. 888-755-6377. That's 888-755-6377 is our direct line to Ron Smith for your lawn and garden questions. Heirloom tomatoes. Uh, is there any heirloom tomato that you look at for this particular climate? We tried that a number of years ago. In fact, I, I got hammered um, by the, I'll just say the public, maybe a couple of people in the public. I shouldn't uh, indict the entire public, but a couple of people said, why don't you ever do any field studies on heirlooms? I said, okay, it will. So we <laughs> we had got a bunch of hybrid tomatoes and, and a bunch of heirloom tomatoes. This is out at the Dickinson Research Extension Center. They have excellent soil out there at that center. And so we set it up, and we didn't treat one any better than the other. And those poor heirlooms just did not make it. I There's mean, a they, reason we have hybrids. Uh. Yeah, absolutely. So now what they're doing now, these new tomatoes on the market, is that they have grafted the heirloom tomatoes onto some of the hybrid stock to get that hybrid vigor, hardiness, the resistance to diseases transported up to the cyan wood or the cyan part, the top part, uh, to the heirloom. So you can get that heirloom tomato quality that you want, but the disease resistance built in because of the of the grafting that they're trying. I don't know how well it's going to work. Uh, we're going to try a couple of them in our backyard this year just to see how well they do. And I'll come back, I hope, this time next year and say, hey, they did great, or sometime in the fall. <laughs> <laughs> or they did poorly. It, it, uh, every time I go to a restaurant of a certain kind, of course, you <coughs> might get uh, tomatoes that they call heirloom tomatoes. Mm-hmm, they mm-hmm. might be purple. They might yep. be yellow. They certainly don't look like what no. I buy in the grocery yeah, store. No. <laughs> And, of course, uh, I did one time fall for the upside-down tomato oh, thing. Uh, so why didn't that work for me? <laughs> I, you know, I, I doubted that it was really going to work well for anybody, and I don't know why it didn't work for you, but I was very suspicious that it was going to work at all. There are some people that in the, in the Master Gardener uh, community that have said, oh, I tried that and it worked great. So if there's any master gardeners out there listening uh, that have tried the upside-down tomato, please give us both a call and say, this is what you did that that made it work. Because I have no idea why it didn't work, and I have no idea why it would work anyway in the first place, an upside-down tomato. For me, it, uh, it, it worked great for the first week. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that was gravity shoving it out the bottom. <laughs> but after that, I was done. You were done. Yeah. So I was done. 888-755-6377, the direct line for Ron Smith, our retired NDSU extension horticulturist who knows about lawns and gardens. So it's 
your opportunity to pick his brain. We're going to go to the news now, but I'm going to give you that number one more time so you have time to dial it, 888-755-6377. That's 888-755-6377. More with Ron Smith in just a moment. This is Hear It Now on Prairie Public. I'm Doug Hamilton, and it's the day of the month when we talk about lawns and gardens, even if it's snowy outside, because we know we live in a four-season paradise, and one of the best seasons is coming up. It's called spring, and I am ready. 888-755-6377 is the number in our studio, and you can talk right with Ron Smith, our extension horticulturist, now retired from NDSU. And Millie in Minot has done just that. Millie, thanks for joining us. What's your question? Hi, Millie. Hi. I have a dumb question. On these hanging planters that use coconut husks Uh for the shell, Mm -hmm. what do you do when the little birdies just love to come and pick the fibers off to go make nests? (laughs) (laughs) Of course. (laughs) Well, appreciate their creativity drive, I guess, is about the best thing you can do. Mm -hmm. Um we had the same problem with our my wife loves hanging baskets of uh, flowers okay. and uh, we we had problems with them oh hey this is wonderful we can set up a family here and and uh it kind of created a problem there with the watering so we'd have to be very careful with the watering and mm-hmm. and the bird eventually got used to us doing that would fly away when we'd water and we'd try not to drown the the, uh, the little chicks in there and uh, and that that's interesting. I mean, I I don't I, I don't know what you can do. I mean, I wouldn't have the heart to try to drive them away or. Well, they know. don't they don't go into the pot. Mm-hmm. These little devils. They go back, take the fibers away with them mm-hmm. and and go up in the trees. So it'll look it'll look like a naked coconut. Is what it'll look like. Anyway. Yeah. Is there any way to deter them from doing this? Well, the or only should I shave the coconut? <laughs> well, I, the only thing I can say is that you sh- you should feel good. You're being very charitable and allowing these, the wildlife to have a good source of fiber to go ahead and make their own love nests up there yeah. in your trees. Uh, yeah. You can't. You, <laughs> I don't know how you'd shave a coconut husk, no. but um, it's not going to hurt the coconut um, planter at all. Um, at least as far as I know, it's not going to hurt it. And no. um, any deterrence that I could suggest would um, be lend to more unattractiveness uh, than. I mean, to me, it would be. Hanging a, a a false owl out there, you know, a scare balloon. Yeah, oh yeah. Yeah, I mean that's yeah, at least the birds add, you know, <laughs> you know, dynamism to the landscape. Yeah, you give you action, something that you want. Well, what if what if they're trying to get into the flowers themselves? Somebody suggested using cayenne pepper. Oh, that's nasty. Uh, I know, nasty, naughty. Yeah, I, I, uh, you know. Yeah, that'll work. But you know, I have—I really have nothing against the bird wildlife, even though they're messy. Well, it's yeah. for my son, and mm-hmm. he about has a spasm over this because uh-huh. before, before they get through, everything is a mess again. Well, uh, the only thing I would try—I tr- try something that would be not so drastic as cayenne pepper, because that's that's really a torturous material. I'd I'd try to get something. There, there's got to be something on the market. That would deter them. Um, you might try, um, you know, the, some of these rabbit repellents might work. I, I don't know. I, I go to, where is it you're located? In Minot? No, it's in Columbus, Ohio. Huh? He's in Columbus. Oh, he's oh. in Columbus, Ohio. Okay. Um, I, I would go, um, have him go to, I'm trying to remember the, the big nurseries out there, but they're. Oh, 
administrators and a it, few others. So. Yeah, have them go there and look through the retail shelves there to see if they have anything that would be a good bird deterrent uh, mm-hmm. for him out there that would be more of an odor or uh, a scent of some kind that would um, keep you know keep the birds away yeah. but not hurt them as well. So I know. I love the birds. I'd, I'd rather put just a whole string of coconut shells out and watch them have their fun. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> well, thank you, Millie. Thanks for your call. Thank you very much. Okay, take care. Bye-bye. Ron, we had a caller who could stay on the line, but he has a problem. He says his tomato plant gets tall, mm-hmm. but he doesn't get any fruit. Mm. How can he get it to put more energy into fruit rather than getting tall and green? He says it gets about four and a half feet tall. Mm-hmm. Well, he's probably got a very, very rich soil, a soil that's very rich in nitrogen. And that usually is the first indication. You get this tall, leggy growth and very poor fruit set. Uh, that could be one of the causes. The other cause could be that he has uh, more shade there than he should have, and that's going to cause the plant to go. Tomatoes eat a lot of sun, too. So they're full sun plants, yeah. just like roses are. Um, uh, unlike peonies, they need as much sun as Mother Nature can go ahead and, and uh, provide for them. So uh, I'd, I'd have a soil checked, and if the soil is high in nitrogen, either leach it out or try to find another place to go ahead and put them in. Now we're talking about soil. <laughs> so let's hear from Colette Wolf. Colette is the uh, United uh, Tribes Technical College Land Grant Program's Agroecology Extension Educator. That's quite a title. Mm-hmm. But she has an episode of Dragonfly Tales that she's created called Go Play in the Dirt. What is dirt? You wash dirt off your car, wipe it from your shoes, Rub it out of your eyes and wash it from your hands. Dirt seems to compel us to clean. But is dirt something more than a mess to wash away or remove? You might be surprised that dirt is your relative. You and I and dirt share the five basic life-building atoms, carbon, hydrogen, nitrogen, oxygen, and sulfur. Consider them the dream team, combining their qualities to make life possible on Mother Earth. Together, all living organisms break down, rebuild, and recycle materials made from these five tiny atoms. One handful of dirt contains enough diversity to begin reorganizing itself into life. Take a handful of dirt, place it in a jar, add water from a natural source, Seal it up, add a pressure valve, and set it near light. Immediately, you begin to see organization as heavier particles sink and lighter ones rise. In two weeks, you're amazed at the life that emerges from dirt. Fascinating in its properties, all across Mother Earth, humans revere dirt. In El Patreo, New Mexico, Dirt is considered holy at the Church El Santiago de Chimayo. People worldwide are inspired to partake in the annual pilgrimage there to receive tiny bags of holy dirt believed to have restorative powers. You should know, however, there's a dust-up over dirt. In Western science, dirt is referred to as soil, from the Latin word solium, meaning seat or throne. In many Turtle Island cultures, dirt is the skin of Mother Earth, metaphorically communicating that we are related and nurtured by the life-giving properties of that thin covering layer. 
whatever your approach is to understanding it, and no matter the magnitude of awe its transformations inspire in you, it deserves our respect and understanding. The next time your child is covered in dirt, take a moment to reflect. Clinging to hands and clinging to knees is a community of relatives with potential for life. Even consider how mud on your car floor, if combined with sun and water, can germinate a seed, become a tree, and feed the people. And if you're inclined to spend more time playing in the dirt, gardening can bless you with soil's fondness for life. Whatever you call it, dirt or soil, it's all family, providing food, medicine, exercise, solace, laughter, and a place in the universe to call home. Grow food, eat well, empower your community. Aho. Musings on Soil from Colette Wolf. Fantastic. Can yeah. you get copies of that? That's beautiful, isn't it? Is, is, are there copies of this? Uh, well, it'll be uh, posted online. Our show will. is a oh, podcast, okay. That's so good. people can uh, go to the... Download it if they want to. Yeah. PrairiePublic.org. Uh-huh. Uh, hit the radio tab. <clears throat> Go to hear it now, and you can hear Colette Wolf tell this story again. That is really beautiful. Yeah, Very good. So Excellent job. We've got some calls here. <laughs> Alyssa in Montpelier has a question for Ron Smith. Hi. Alyssa? Hi, Alyssa. Hi. Hi. Um, I have a vine that is taking over my yard. <laughs> it's, um, I don't know, somebody called it a creeping jenny. I'm not sure if that's what it is, but mm-hmm. it's, it's got a whitish-pink flower. It's really pretty, unless, you know, I'd like it if it wasn't all over my yard, but... um. <laughs> I'm wondering, like, it survived all throughout the dry summer last summer. I'm not sure how to take care of it. I have kids, and I don't like to spray stuff on my yard. I don't know if there's any other option for getting rid of it or not. Well, uh, <clears throat> I'll tell you the options. You're not going to accept either one of them. You can either put black top, okay. <laughs> black top over it, or you can put artificial <laughs> turf over it. Uh, uh, other, yes. than, other than that, you, you're going to have to somehow resort to some kind of a chemical to get rid of it. Scorched earth. Okay. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, they have an extensive root system. They're very persistent. Yeah, you can get burned yeah. down from them. I mean, uh, I've seen people go out there with little flamethrowers. You know, this is a, a way of weed control, which is very effective for annual weeds and seedlings. Yeah. Well, they'll burn the foliage off of that stuff, and it'll just come right back again. Wow. And so it's a very, very um, determined, uh, very vigorous uh, weed that um, once it gets going, it just doesn't like to give up its territory. So yeah, uh, all I can I'll say is to. just, just, just get, get, have, it, have it professionally treated and tell your kids to stay off of it for, you know, 24, 48 hours, uh, okay. a couple days. And, and that, that, you know, what has been applied topically will break down in the sunlight. So it won't be effective, but what you want is to have it be absorbed into and throughout the vascular system of the plant, and that'll that'll eventually kill it. So after they treat it, do you need to water it then so it gets well, soaked in? Well, y- yes, uh, they they have uh, a it, usually it's a good idea to go ahead and apply it when there is no rain in the forecast uh, for at least twenty four hours, and that way it can be absorbed into and throughout the vascular system. And then once it, oh, yeah, once it's a, you know that that has taken place, then uh, you don't have to worry about it. Uh, it it should translocate through that. Um, like a little word of caution: uh, you're probably going to have to make a couple of ap- applications. You make an application. I wondered about that. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. <clears throat> you'll have to make an application this spring once it greens up. But keep in mind, there's two different types of growth going on at this time of the year, or dip, as as the growing season goes on. In the spring, there's what's called surge growth 
where you're getting all this stored carbohydrate energy from last year, and the, the plant is pushing out new growth to go ahead and perpetuate itself. So what you'll do is you'll burn it back to weaken the plant somewhat, and then have the uh, applicator come in and put the uh, herbicide down uh, sometime around uh, the first part of September. And that way okay. it'll be translocated. There you have this uh, recessive type of growth, an assimilative type of growth, I should say, where you're not going to be getting a lot of new vegetative growth, and you're going to get that, that, that herbicide being taken in throughout the vascular system of the plant where it's storing its carbohydrates, and you'll get a more complete kill. Okay, so a spring application and a fall application. And a fall application. Mm-hmm. All right. Okay. okay. All right. Thank Sorry. <laughs> Take care. <laughs> okay. Bye. Bye. Thank you, Alyssa. Uh, the number eight 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 seven five five six three seven seven. That's eight 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 seven five five six three seven seven. Another caller who couldn't stay on. This one from Williston. He has mature black walnut and wonders what to do about webworms. Anything he can apply in the spring before they get going. Uh, webworms are. Kind of a hit and miss. They sometimes, I've I've never known them, and as soon as I say that, this will be an exception, but I've never known them to be a perennial problem. Uh, They will come and go. Usually there's um, uh, disease that wipes them out, uh, predators that take care of them, and uh, so they they look horrible one year, and then the next year they're gone. Are these inchworms? Yeah, a little. They're just called something different in other places? Well, they they call them, I'm I'm assuming he's talked about webworms on black walnut. Yes, yes. So what he has seen would be at the end of the branches, okay? okay? And they they form this web that's very protective over Uh it. And so if he's harvesting, if he has uh, black walnuts that he's harvesting, he doesn't want to put any kind of a a systemic uh, insecticide in there Mm -hmm. because he doesn't want to get that going into the black walnut. Uh, so uh, he can, if you see it, isolate it on one branch, get it off right away and burn it. You know, just harvest the, the, that branch and just burn it. Okay. Generally, they just get on one branch or the other. But uh, I'd be surprised if they came back again next year. All right. Carol in Mandan has a question for Ron Smith. Carol? Hi. Hi, Carol. Hi, Ron. Glad to have you back. Well, thank you. It's good to be back. Yeah. Say, I have something for the guy with the webworms, and then I have a question. Okay, good. Okay. I use this on apple trees, and I don't know about walnuts, but on apples, you have to rinse the ground when you're done with it. Otherwise, the tree won't set fruit. But you make ultra-thin um, pancake batter oh. <laughs> and spray it on with one of those hose sprayers, uh-huh. the, the jar that fits on your hose. Yep. So uh, Cover the tree until it drips off. Okay. <laughs> Let it dry. When it dries, it shrinks. Okay. Pops them. They're dead. Huh. That's interesting. Works, too. You, you, Works great. I've been using this for about 30 years. Ultra-thin pancake batter. Mm-hmm. Just flour oh. and water. You don't have to put anything else in it. Or flour, and I prefer powdered milk. It makes it stickier, and it makes it pop better. <laughs> so You know, I'm going to try that. I'm going to I'm gonna take yeah. you. I'm going to... I, I don't doubt yeah. your word, but I'm I'm going to try that this spring. I'm, I'm going to see if I can find some place where they're they've had. Put it, uh, on your, put it on your skin and let it dry. You'll see. <laughs> it's like an astringent. It tightens up. Oh yeah. Okay. Hmm. Yeah, it does. And now, if it would only remove wrinkles. Um, <laughs> okay, but you don't but do the next step. You don't put any syrup on the tree. I take it. <laughs> no, 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 no. But um, use use milk and flour. 
and it will it will definitely shrink, mm-hmm. and it will it will pop them. It kills them deader than heck. And if if anybody hears this and they use it on an apple tree, as soon as the tree stops dripping, rinse it thoroughly with plain water, because apple trees don't like milk and they won't set fruit that oh. year if you if they get milk. Ah, okay. But otherwise, but for walnuts, I've used it on hazelnuts. Hmm. I've used it. I used to have a mulberry tree in another state. I used it on that. Mm-hmm. Worked mul- great. Mulberries are notorious for getting those uh, webworms. Yeah. yeah. Okay, what's your mm-hmm. question now? Okay, here's my question. I sent you some soil samples, and they came back that all it wants is some 30 aught four fertilizer, and I'm the one that's doing the pocket prairie where the yard used to be. Mm-hmm. And you and I talked about this about a year ago. Um Okay, I want some kind of an organic fertilizer. Can I use horse manure? Or what can I use that's going to be that high nitrogen like that that I can use on the yard? Do you know anybody that's got uh, rabbits? Mm, Chickens. Maybe. Uh, Chickens, yeah. Mm -hmm. If they're cooped up chickens, if they're cooped chickens, uh, not free-range chickens, you could probably use that. You wouldn't be getting... Uh, too many weed seeds coming through that. If they're free-range chickens, and, uh, and yeah, yeah, it, yeah. It, I used to work for a chicken farmer back in the old days, and uh, his manure was fantastic. I mean, that manure from that, oh, that sure. those coops were just great. So well, and the other thing I was thinking was maybe I could just put it in a rain barrel and let it soak, and then use the water. That's that's good. That's a compost. That's a form of compost tea. Yeah, exactly. That would yeah. be perfect. Yep, absolutely okay. perfect. Yep. <clears throat> and uh, one other thing, a couple of years ago, we have a neighbor upstream of us on the heart there, and he's a real nutcase. Mm-hmm. And he cut down the dike so that we would have a flood. And we did. And it killed off all my grama grass that I had established and my buffalo grass that drowned it out. But it replaced it with Indian grass, which is gorgeous, but it's two feet tall, and it was trying to go for no no more than maybe 10 inches. Mm-hmm. So other than pulling it up by the roots, is there any non... Oh, gosh. Let's say an organic way that I can that I can get rid of the Indian grass, or am I stuck with pulling out uh, about a half an acre? Carol, we're going to have to let Ron answer your question and then move on. Thank yeah, you. I'm sorry. I don't know of anything, Carol. I, I really don't, but we'll take care of that. I'm, I'm awfully sorry. Uh, get, get, some, get some mischievous teenagers that need to have community service taken care of and tell them to get out there and do that. <laughs> All right, okay. Carol. I'll give it a try. Okay, so take, much. Yeah, thank you for your call. Thank you. And thank you, Ron. Oh, always, you're welcome. You get the phones always humming here, and it's great to have you back. Ron will be be back back with us in March, so uh, make sure that you uh, listen to Hear It Now or whatever we call the program and (laughs) tune in and give Ron your questions for the coming spring gardening season. And we'll have an essay from Bruce Berg in just a moment. When you hear arts programming here on Prairie Public, know that it is supported in part by the North Dakota Council on the Arts, and we thank them. Here at Now would like you to contact us if you have comments, questions, or guest ideas. Give us a call at 1-888-755-6377 or write us at hearitnow at prairiepublic.org. 
Time now for an essay from Jamestown's Bruce Berg. It's called State of Facts. Now and then, receiving emails can be fun. Recently, I received a bundle of Dakota good stuff from a friend in Michigan, which fit in quite nicely with the good vibes I'd gotten from reading How Fargo of You. Now, I didn't go for explicit confirmation on all of these fun facts. I'd have hated to find out that some of them weren't true. But for now, these statements are geographic gospel. All right, brace yourself for Dakota fact number one. North Dakota has more coastline than California. How's that, I hear you cry? Well, apparently Lake Sakakawea makes the difference. The ins and outs of that body of water stretched to a line would outnumber California's coastline by a number in North Dakota's favor. Now, maybe this won't hit you with coastline surprise, but North Dakota leads the nation in production of spring wheat, durum wheat, and sunflowers. Okay, you knew that. But did you know that we can add a leader's list to barley and dry edible beans and pinto beans and canola and flaxseed and honey and lentils and oats and dry edible peas? North Dakota is the only state in the Union to never experience an earthquake. Granted, we may have had winds that make our homes shake in a like fashion. And our state has more millionaires per capita than any other state. And word has it, there's nary a yuppie among them. North Dakota was the first state to complete its interstate highway system. And did you know that the highest temperature ever recorded in North Dakota was in July of 1936, when the thermometer hit 121 in steel? And that winter, partial chalked up a 60 below temperature. And that 180 degree range is still the widest range for a locale any place in the world. North Dakota ranks number one in high school completion. The parking meter was invented in North Dakota. And there are more miles of road per capita than any other state. Approximately 166 miles of road for every 1,000 people. Well, I could go on, but let me conclude with thanks to those writers like Clay Jenkinson and Mark DeChille and Tom Izzard, who sing praises of this state on a regular basis. How North Dakota of them. This is Bruce Berg, Jamestown. Well said, Bruce. Dakota Date Book is next. Support for Dakota Date Book is provided by Attorney Daniel Buchanan of Buchanan Law Office in Jamestown, specializing in elder law and estate planning. Information on these and other legal matters is available at 252-6604. This is Dakota Datebook for February 25th. You're standing on a stage with a microphone resting comfortably in hand as the crowd screams for an encore. It's a dream nearly every teenager has envisioned, at least once in life, making it big in the music world. You're certain you have what it takes to be the next rock star, country music singer, or classical pianist. But then come those crushing but often practical words uttered by parents everywhere. You'll never make any money as a musician. Fortunately, those dreams sometimes become reality despite the well-intentioned advice of parents. Clarence S. Putnam was born in Vermont in 1859. 
As a young man, a passion for music ran through his veins. His father had directed a regimental band in the Union Army during the Civil War, so as Putnam grew, he wanted to follow in the footsteps of his father. But at the insistence of his mother, Putnam set aside his musical ambitions and attended medical school. Following graduation in 1883, Putnam practiced medicine in Minnesota and Wisconsin before settling in Fargo, North Dakota. It was there, 20 years later, on a spring day, Clarence Putnam watched his medical practice burn to the ground, five days after his insurance had lapsed. What seemed a tragic loss turned into opportunity. Jobless, Putnam accepted a position teaching arithmetic at the North Dakota Agricultural College. This position opened the door to a whole new set of possibilities. Almost immediately, he began giving music lessons and leading the recently formed 14-member cadet band. Organized as a military band to perform for ROTC functions, the cadet band thrived under Putnam's dynamic leadership. By 1924, it had received enough superior ratings during annual ROTC federal inspections to earn a gold star designation. Proud of their achievement, Putnam incorporated the title into the band's name, and the Gold Star Band was born. Putnam continued directing the band until his death on this date in 1944. Today, the Gold Star Band continues to play an important role at NDSU, but it isn't Putnam's only enduring legacy at the university. In 1908, English and philosophy instructor Archibald Menard composed a set of verses entitled The Yellow and the Green, but the song needed to be set to music, and Menard was a writer, not a musician. He approached Dr. Putnam, who agreed to take on the challenge. Once completed, Menard was certain their masterpiece would become the state song. The Yellow and Green did become the college song of the North Dakota Agricultural College, but the honor of state song went to another composition, the North Dakota Hymn. But it was hardly a defeat for Clarence Putnam, as the former physician had also arranged the music for the newly selected North Dakota State Song. Today's Dakota Datebook was written by Christina Sunwall. I'm Merrill Pepcorn. Dakota Datebook is produced in cooperation with the State Historical Society of North Dakota, with funding from the North Dakota Humanities Council. Tuesday on Here It Now, Representative Kathy Hawken of Fargo is concerned about cuts to child care funding, particularly with the growing challenges in the oil patch. She'll join us by phone from Bismarck. And speaking of the legislature, women are being invited to the Capitol on March 11th to learn how the system works and how they can affect change. Joining us to talk about that will be Renee Stromy, Executive Director of the North Dakota Women's Network. Have a great evening. <laughs>